Welcome to the Indie Pub, a laid-back interview show dedicated to the world of self and indie publishing. I'm your host, Jay Rushing, author of the self-published fantasy noir novel Radio, and a beverage buff with a passion for deep dives and good times. Each episode, a guest will step into the pub with a publishing-related topic and a favorite drink for us to explore and enjoy. Whether you want to sharpen your craft, snag a new cocktail recipe, or just have a laugh, there's always a seat and a full glass waiting for you at the Indie Pub. Welcome to the Indie Pub. Our guest today is Scott Drakeford, whose debut epic fantasy novel, Rise of the Mages, has had a spectacular launch as of late. But, dear listeners, our guest is also traditionally published. Ah! Now, please, 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 unclutch those pearls, set down those pitchforks. When two roads diverge in a paper woods, new authors have a decision to make traditional or self-slash-indie publishing, and it's vital to make an informed decision. Scott is here to give us some insight into what the traditional publishing track is actually like for a new author. So, Scott, before we dive in, tell us a bit about what we're drinking here in the pub. Uh, We've got just straight Lafrog Select uh, with ice on my end. I'm guessing you've got it neat, but I don't know. I do. I have the 10 neat. Yeah. But Lafroig, it's always, always so nice. Yeah. I, I actually haven't had this in quite some time. It was still taped <laughs> from when we moved <laughs> nice. uh, in 2019. Um, so I, if I go smoky, it's usually Lagavulin 16. That's my, my mm-hmm. favorite. And uh, I don't know actually how to say this. Kalila, however you say that. The oh, I Kalila think tw- 12. Yes, that's delicious. I think it's Koala. Yeah. I think, but I could be completely wrong. So yeah, if, you're, I, if you're Scottish and you know. <laughs> you've, been to Scot- you've been to Scotland more recently and probably more times than I have. Oh, so. Scotland's one of my favorite places. So yeah, I've, <laughs> I get there as often as I can. Yeah, I'm glad we went with a scotch though, because right when, uh, you know, my, my wife and I left the religion that we grew up in, and got a little more comfortable with drinking alcohol here and there is right when we went to Scotland. And and we went to Scotland mostly because Kaylee, my wife, has family in England um, mm. that we wanted to, to visit and we wanted them to meet our daughter, uh, but also because she had been watching Outlander and reading the books. <laughs> and so we were like, hey, that, let's go check it out. It looks cool. And, you know, there's some history up there. But along the way, you know, I got to stop at a few distilleries and got to ride the whatever boat it is on uh uh lock i guess it's Loch ness right yeah Loch ness i think we went to and they had a little tasting bar there and i i got to try a few there and at some hotels so yeah it was cool nice well why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your work uh yeah i so uh, I'm going to let out some secrets here, right? Uh, personal secrets that aren't super secret. I <laughs> publish under the name Scott Drakeford, um, but my real name is Scott Smith. I publish under the name Scott Drakeford because there is already a Scott Smith actively publishing. Um, he's a thriller writer, and I think he has a few screenplays uh, to his credit as well. Um, so th- both my agent who, who really likes Scott Smith, the thriller writer <laughs> and my publisher said, yeah, it'd be better to avoid that confusion. And I've had significant name confusion. Um, you know, pull your, pull your credit report and 
some other person with your name and and birthday comes up, you know you've got a common name. Um, so anyway, that's why I publish under a pseudonym, and I chose Drakeford because it's a family name on my dad's side. Um, my grandpa's name on his on my paternal side was Gordon Drakeford Smith, that came from his mom, who was a so I guess my great grandmother. Uh, was a Drakeford from somewhere in England, nice. and it sounded suitably fantasy. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I, I had some. I think it was Zach Argyle actually, uh, it, an indie published fellow. Um, he said, "Have we talked about how unfair it is that you're a fantasy author with the name Drake, with the word Drake in your name?" And I was like, "Yeah, I kind of cheated on that one, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take it." Um, but yeah, so that's me. Uh, I, I grew up reading pretty mainstream fantasy fiction and some sci-fi and that mainstream, uh, taste has kind of stuck, I suppose. And I, 10, 10, 11 years ago now, uh, I decided I wanted to start creating and writing was the most natural outlet for that because I had read so much and I, I love books so much. Uh, and I decided to write Rise of the Mages. It was called Ire, just Ire for a very long time. Um, but my publisher felt strongly about a more marketable title. So it is Rise of the Mages. Um, and it's a, it's a story about two brothers um, that are at a, a school called the Citadel. I kind of modeled the Citadel after are you know modern day universities where you find a, a smattering of different subjects but in particular i honed in on engineering since that was you know a big part of my university experience and magic uh, uh well i guess not not magic engineering uh with uh the power source that ends up being a magic source as well um, but also military arts as kind of a symbol of um you know, modern day sports um, as kind of a, a fill in for, I guess, uh, deadly arts or war or what have you. Uh, I don't know that it's a perfect fill in, but anyway, yeah. So that's the story. Uh, somebody attacks their school. The brother who studies military arts uh, has to rescue the engineering uh, whiz brother who gets captured in the attack. And that's the basis of the story. All right. So jumping into our topic for today, there are lots and lots of routes into the world of indie publishing and self-publishing. And a lot of those are pretty visible or at least easily researchable. Um, but when it comes to traditional publishing, aside from the front door, which is often finding an agent, after that, things in the process can get a little bit fuzzy. So can you give us just a rundown on what your experience has been kind of from getting that agent through the process? What did that process kind of look like step by step? Yeah, and I, I think talking about getting an agent is very worthwhile too, because as you mentioned, that's kind of the first door to get through. And that, that's certainly not the only door to get through. And uh, I'll talk about that. I'll, I'll try to go more or less uh, chronologically. Uh, do you want me to start with why I decided to go after an agent in that or just talk about the process and then we'll get into other stuff later? Let's do the process now. We'll definitely get into the whys and hows later on. Cool. So 
the first step, right, is to finish a book. Um, <laughs> yep. For for debuts, they they won't take on anybody unless you have a finished work to show them. Um, I I suppose there are a few exceptions. I've I've heard that just recently, a, a major publisher, my publisher, bought a book on basically uh, just a few sample chapters and an outline. And it's a large book, and I, I don't think it was a small deal. I'm not really sure, but it, they're talking about it enough that it seems like it wasn't a super small deal. Um, but anyway, so yeah, write a book is the first step. And then it's on to getting an agent. The, the typical method of getting an agent is just cold querying, right? Sending a query letter. Every agent has their, um, has their format. I'm sure most people know this. But what I think is worth discussing is how to potentially how to make a personal connection and how that might be helpful, right? So I read about other authors doing that, and then I I tried that, and my agent at least claims that that made a difference. I I don't know whether it really did or <laughs> not, but uh, he he says he remembered me when I I queried. Um, but also I, th I think the biggest thing to mention is, and, and I think you and I, and, and, you know, our little writing group that we've belonged to for a few years have talked about this, uh, at least a little bit. It really is a function of a lot of luck, but that luck has a lot to do with personal taste and style, right? Mm -hmm. So you kind of just have to hope that there's an agent out there that shares your personal tastes in in a lot of different areas really you know what what you're writing what you're writing about how you write it uh who you are um you know are they are they looking for uh diverse only uh that kind of thing which is happening here and there and i i think it's a good thing where it's happening um uh, but yeah, so I, I think there, there are a lot of things that people don't take into account, both when they're looking for the right agent to query, but also when they're judging their results, right? Like, I think a lot of people are like, oh man, I, I sent out 50 query letters and all of them were rejections or whatever. There's just so much that goes into it, especially when it comes to something as subjective as art. If they, you know, they ate a bad burrito that day, you're hosed, you know, yeah. and maybe, <laughs> and maybe that was the only guy or, or person, um, that shares some of your tastes. I got very lucky in that I found an agent and I don't think I knew this to the extent I do now when I queried, but I found an agent who likes pretty traditional fantasy, right? And my book is fairly traditional in a lot of its themes. I tried to kind of marry traditional adventure quest fantasy with some, you know, more modern uh, aspects like very tech heavy and very quickly paced. I, I really enjoy um, Pierce Brown's Red Rising and Bernard Cornwell and a lot of books like that that have really quick pacing and throw in some some deeper stuff along the way. So I tried to model uh, that uh, in my writing as well. But anyway, I mean, it just kind of turns out Matt Bialer, my my agent, 
shares that, right? Like I look at, I look at his list and at least most of them are that pretty traditional, uh, fantasy writer, right? Not a whole lot of, uh, I, I guess not a lot of urban fantasy, although there is some in his catalog. Um, but, but his biggest ones are, are traditional. So, uh, the story of how I did it, um, I, right around when I thought I was finishing my book, I was about 80% done with my manuscript and convinced that I could finish it within a few months and spoiler alert, I didn't, <laughs> um, but I, I was around 80% done and Kaylee and I, my wife wanted to take our first trip to the UK to visit her family. Um, she, you know, her grandma and aunt and uncle and cousins that live there. Um, so we, and there was, there was a, uh, it was a world fantasy convention in 2013, uh, coming up that year. And so we said, Hey, let's, let's book a trip and, and we'll see some of London. We'll see Bearstead where my wife's family is from. Um, and then we'll go down to that conference for, for a few days. Right. And I did that for a few reasons. I was excited about it, at least for a few reasons, not least of which was that two agents, at least two agents on my list of top agents um, were going to be there. Matt Bialer, who represents Pat Rothfuss, who I had just read around then and was a big fan. Um, and then Joshua Bilmez, and I hope I get those uh, that pronunciation right. Um, who represents Brandon Sanderson, who, you know, I, I'm originally from Utah. He's a very big name there and now elsewhere. But um, so those two, I, I kind of had an eye on and I knew there'd be a few others. Uh, so, and I figured that I would be one of relatively few uh, Americans there who wasn't already an agented writer, right? Um, I figured not a whole lot would bother to fly across the pond to a, a convention in the UK just to meet an agent right so it, it worked out fairly well um i i had the chance to catch joshua after one of his um after one of his panels and he had mentioned that he really likes uh, artisan chocolates and my dad happens to be a an artisan chocolatier <laughs> nice. uh, yeah so I, I got to talk to him about that and i was on the cusp of of sending to him as well uh, he was near the top of my list, as was Jennifer Jackson, who represents Jim Butcher and a few others. Um, and a lot of these uh, newer, really prominent agents just weren't around then, at least not on my radar. It was 10, 11, 12 years ago, right? Um, but anyway, so I went and I, I caught Matt actually outside of a Pat Rothfuss reading he read like a poem and a story that I think is now part of an anthology about Bast and a lightning tree or something like that. I, I can't really remember. It's been a long time, but Matt was just out in the foyer um, outside the room and I approached him super awkwardly. Uh, I was super nervous and I knew that Matt had become aware of Pat Rothfuss when Rothfuss had won the Writers of the Future contest. And so I asked Matt, I was like, hey, do I need to win or place in Writers of the Future to, you know, pique your interest or to, to submit to you? And he just laughed and he was like, no, not at all. Like that, that apparently didn't matter much to him. It just happened to be the route that, you know, Pat took. Um, and he handed me his card and he was like, go ahead and submit when you're ready. 
Um, and that was October, 2013. I didn't submit to him until, man, I don't even remember what month, but it was in 2015, um, that I submitted to him. He responded quick and said, Hey, I got this. And if I don't respond in eight weeks, hit me up again. Uh, I didn't hear from him for eight weeks and that was pretty agonizing. Um, uh, and then, uh, eight weeks eight weeks rolled around and I, I hit him up again and I said, Hey, you know, you, you said to check in and I definitely want to work with you. Um, but I, I had sent him an exclusive query just cause I, I felt like I had few enough agents. I was super stoked about, you know, I had like three to five that I was really excited about. I had few enough that I figured I might as well take my time and try to attract a little extra attention, I guess by submitting an exclusive query. And I just put that in the subject line um, of my query letter. And so I said, Hey, I did submit an exclusive. And you know, if I, if I don't hear back from you in, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start submitting to others. And he responded immediately and said, Hey, I'm reading it. Give me a little bit. And then I want to say it was maybe that next week that I got an email and he said, Hey, Scott, I think this needs a, a little work. Um, uh, maybe he didn't even say a little. He probably said this needs some work, <laughs> um, but I do want to represent it. And so that was in 2015. And I was like, man, I've got it made. I'm only going to have to work for like, I was pretty naive at that point. I was <laughs> like, I'm only going to have to work for like a few more years until my book's out. I'm going to be able to quit and just be a full-time writer. Um, since then I have learned a lot more about the <laughs> economics of writing, um, and even, and maybe even in particular, um, traditional publishing. Uh, and I have since been viciously disabused of that notion that I will <laughs> ever be a full-time writer. Although I kind of am now, I guess, but not because it pays well. Um, but All right, yeah. so you so, got, so you yeah. got the agent. Yeah. Step two. Okay. So I worked with Matt uh, and his assistants to revise the book quite a bit. Um, I, I don't remember exactly how many rewrites and edits I did with him, but at least one to two. We went on submission in early 2019. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, 2017. Um, early 2017. So I signed with him, I think, late 2015. Uh, we went on submission, maybe even late 2016. No, it was it was it was mid to late 2016. So so roughly a, a year, maybe nine to twelve months later, we went on submission to nine different publishers. We got three, I want to say three rejections, and four rejections. Three of them were very nice and sent the rejection with a, a little note or even in one case, a long note saying, Hey, I didn't connect with this, but I think it's good. And I think you can make X, Y, and Z better. Right. And one of them was just a no, they didn't, they didn't send anything back, which I get, but those three that rejected and did, did send notes back were all somewhat aligned in that they felt it needed to be quote unquote tightened. Um, and so my agent said, Hey, we still have this opportunity with these other five, and then we could go to smaller presses, you know, but these five were still, you know, the big publishers. 
He said, we still have this opportunity. What we can do is pull the submission. We can tell them that we're working on these uh, things that have been mentioned. And even the ones that had turned us down, uh, he thought we could resubmit to a, a few of them and, and not, you know, uh, put his relationship with those <laughs> editors in jeopardy, I guess, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what it really comes down to. Um, so we did that. I edited for about six months. During those six months that I was editing, uh, an editor from Orbit, actually, named Kelly something or another, um, she reached out to Matt and said, hey, I, you know, I finally got to this or whatever, and I'm interested. I want to see it when he's done um, editing. Well, a month or two or however many months later, before I was done with the edit, she quit the industry. Um, if I remember correctly, she went to do an MBA uh, at like Berkeley or something. Oh, crazy. Um, yeah, well, crazy and a huge bummer because I was like, oh, man, I, you know, I, I got somebody who's interested in my book and then they leave the industry. Yeah. Um, but Davey Pillai, who's now... Uh, at tour and is leading things at tour she was and i'll get the positions wrong but she was like the editorial director or whoever the boss of the editors is at a publisher right she was that as far as i gather at orbit and so she had been somewhat involved with this editor who had requested to see my book and matt uh, knew or knows davy and talked to her and said hey do you want to see this she said yeah so we sent them an exclusive uh, submission, uh, basically just because they were the only one who reached out with strong interest, and Matt felt he could, you know, get it placed better than trying to go out to all the ones who hadn't responded or the ones who had responded negatively. But uh, you know, we they were still a, a big question mark. So. Uh, Tor signed me pretty soon thereafter. Um, that ended up being June of 2017. Um, so it took at least a year from initial submission, pull it back, edit it, resubmit, sign contract. Um, and then uh, it's been a very long journey for both me and my editor, Jen Gunnels, uh, who's fantastic because they initially wanted to publish all three um, of this planned trilogy together, like, you know, months apart rather than years. Um, and I only had book one written. And I was like, well, you know, like if that's the only offer on the table, I can try. I can, I can write these as fast as possible. But like, I've been writing this book since 2012. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, this is the only book I've written, you know, I, I wrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it to learn how to write. Um, so anyway, I was like, yeah, I'll try. Um, but spoiler, that didn't happen. <laughs> and by the time they were like, fine, we'll just publish it and we're close enough, right? Uh, and we'll we'll move to a traditional uh, spacing year apart-ish. Uh, I was scheduled to publish in 2019. And then uh, I don't remember why we moved that that time but we moved from well i think it was like september 2019 it was supposed to come out and then it was moved to may of 2020 i think and then the pandemic hit and they were like whole schedule scrapped and you're part of the you know the group moving to um 2021 it was partially because they had picked up some larger books and they didn't want me going at the same time as as some larger authors 
Um, but yeah, it was it was also due to the pandemic. So I was I was slid to end of 2021, and then they slid me again to when my book actually came out, which was just like 18 days ago. Um, in actually, they slid me to January 25th, 2022. And then right at the last moment, because of pr uh, printing issues, they slid me to February 8th. So it has been quite a journey, very long time. <laughs> Most of it's my fault. Some of it's the pandemic's fault. Uh, but yeah, it, it took quite a long time from uh, starting and then to agent, then to signing a contract, then to actually getting a book on the shelves. So, so then the general track, from what I'm understanding then, is going to be agent submission edits launch yeah so i'd Come say on. i'd say with most agents it depends right and this is part of where you kind of have to do your best to understand whether an agent is going to work with you in a significant manner on your manuscript i chose matt in part because some of his other um some of his other clients that i had found online did uh, say positive things about his editorial skills and willingness to to edit and work on manuscripts before they went out. So I'd say, yeah, agent edit submission if you get signed, which isn't a guarantee. I, I have some friends that got agents and then ha still haven't signed uh, because there's very, very few slots. And the same thing applies. Very few people making decisions. There's a lot of subjective taste that goes into it um trying to match the market um you know personal mood on any given day that they see your stuff uh budget all that kind of stuff and it's it's been a really weird world for the last few years especially so yeah and then you know sign on uh with the publisher then edit then hopefully launch and there are a whole bunch of things in that edit bucket right with a publisher yeah we could go into those if you want but i think you're probably pretty familiar yeah so so the next questions I have are for both your timeline and then also kind of what that path looked like. Do you find that that's pretty standard for a new author in the industry or was yours a little bit more specific or different in any way? Yeah. So I think where mine differed is most authors, it seems like, are smart enough to write a book and then move on, you know, when they start writing to write a book and then move on to the next and move on to the next and the next and get a lot of experience under their belt that way. And I would honestly recommend that, um, whether you shelf it or whatever, even if you just throw it up on your blog, I don't, you know, I don't care. It, it's cool to have it out there and you'll probably get a following anyway. Cause I, I think, um, there, there's more people looking for whatever you want to write than, than you might think. And it's a, it's a very long, slow burn to build up a following from what I can tell. Um, but yeah, I, I chose to just keep going with this story partially in, in large part because it meant something to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, though I have wrapped it in a very commercial and purposefully, I hope entertaining, um, you know, story, there are a lot of aspects in there, uh, a lot of uh, personal symbolism, symbolism, I guess. I don't know if it comes through to every reader, but there's a lot of stuff in there that, you know, meant something to me and I wanted this story to be good. Um, but partially just because I am very stubborn and 
hate giving up on <laughs> on anything. Um, so that certainly took a, took longer, I think, you know, from writing to agent and then probably from getting an agent. Well, no, I, I'd say that's pretty typical to take uh, probably at least a few months uh, up to six plus with your agent if they're a fairly editorial agent. And it depends on how quick you are with edits and all that kind of thing, scope of edits. Um, I think my situation with my publisher was very different. So I, you know, I think most of the time when you sign with a publisher within ballpark, a calendar year, you'll be publishing, right? Um, because that calendar year usually accounts for time to edit with your editor. And theoretically, there's only, you know, one or two rounds of that. And then copy editing and proof editing and all that kind of thing uh, can, can happen within that calendar year. In my case, it was like four years. And as mentioned, it was because they wanted to launch all three at once. I was very, very incapable of writing to that at that speed. And especially since I signed the deal um, right at a time when I, uh, you know, I had, I had gotten a whole bunch of rejections and that editor had left the field that wanted my book. And so I, I was pretty down on my chances of getting in. Um, so I had picked up extra stuff at work and was working a lot of hours and I was trying to like build a tech startup on the side too. Um, so I, 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 and I had just had a kid. Um, so yeah, I had picked up a lot of stuff and, and a lot of responsibility that made that a lot slower than I would have liked. Uh, but also I think I'm just a slower writer, honestly. Um, I, I agonize a lot. Doesn't matter if I'm drafting or editing or whatever. I, I rewrite as I go a lot. That sounds very familiar to me. I'm, I'm very <laughs> much the same way. Yeah. All right, let's jump back to our drink. So in every single episode, we always talk taste and smell because in writing, they're the most overlooked senses. So with this Laphroaig, what is it you're picking up? What are those, those smells, those tastes, those sensations? What's coming across to you? <laughs> well, we went with Laphroaig, so it's mostly smoke. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and you said you have the select, right? Yeah, and I think that's just like a, a cheap mix, right? Is it? I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't had this like before. I think it's like they're, you know, whatever they're, makes a whole bunch of not-so-aged barrels. Um, it was actually, this Laphroaig was one of the first bottles I ever picked up, like, way long ago. I have since, you know, migrated to, I think my favorite scotches are, uh, as far as peated goes, we talked about this, but Lagavulin 16. I really just like the kind of the ambrosia flavor uh, and the little bit of brine as well as smoke. Um, and then Glenlivet 15, um, I think it's called like the French Oak Reserve or something. Mm. Um, but that's like the, that's the sweetest scotch or whiskey in general that I've had. I'm, I'm far from a, a connoisseur, right? I don't, I don't know a whole bunch about uh, scotch or especially bourbon, but it doesn't have that, that I can only describe it as a resiny taste to mm. me. Bourbon has kind of a resiny taste that I really don't like. Uh, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of bourbon, and I've found that it's not often present in scotch. It is in some, um, but it, it's not in like this Laphroaig. I I I don't even know what I'm I'm tasting other than 
smoke, honestly, with this one. Um, but at least in that Glenlivet, uh, it's it's a pretty clean, sweet taste, at least, you know, to my palate. Yeah, that um, resin might be the difference because bourbon has to be a new barrel, a new oak barrel, yeah. whereas scotch is using used barrels. So some of that resiny flavor is coming out and is basically getting spent in the bourbon. And then by the time those barrels get to Scotland, they're a lot more mellow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny you bring up the Lagavulin because I'm kind of the opposite. So like the Freug and Ardbeg are my, of the Islas, they're my go-tos. Because for me, I love sweet whiskeys. I love Irish whiskeys. I'm very much like the big kind of stewed fruit, spicy kind of Christmas spices type Scott or whiskey. I love that. But if it's smoked, I like it super dry, super briny, super salty, not a lot of sweet at all. Um, and so that's what tips me away from Lagavulin a little bit because Lagavulin is delicious, but it a little too sweet for how much smoke it has, I guess I would say. Yeah. But it's yeah. funny. People seem to fall on either side of the fence with that. Well, and, and I mean, I haven't had this Lafrogue for a while, and I, I want to say I haven't had it since I've, you know, really developed a, a more sophisticated uh, whiskey palate. And I'm I'm actually quite enjoying this. I do like the level of smoke. Um, and I guess there is a little bit of brininess, but you're right. It is not sweet like Lagavulin, but I like that. I, I definitely have a sweet tooth. It reminds me a little bit like Lagavulin versus Laphroaig reminds me a lot of, obviously they don't taste anything like drinking white wines, but it very much feels like the difference between a really dry white, which would be like the Laphroaig versus a little bit sweeter, more rich, like maybe a Riesling or something like that for the Lagavulin. Just that rounder, fuller flavor with the Lagavulin and the drier, tighter flavor with the almost more astringent with the the Freug. I would agree. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, so let's jump back to our topic and let's go all the way back to the beginning once again. So (laughs) when you were setting off, was traditional the only route you were going to take or was self or indie publishing on the table for you? Um. That's a good question. Um, I was pretty set on traditional publishing for a few reasons. One was I I didn't quite understand exactly what that meant, and especially in my case, would mean in terms of you know ROI <laughs> on effort, especially. Um, but also, I you know I think I'm I'm prone to seeking credentialism more than I I probably should. But I'm also uh, I attempt to at least be somewhat self-aware. And I you know the the part that scared me the most about becoming an author or really doing anything, as as mentioned, I I had a failed attempt at a tech startup in that same time. Uh, time period that I I did with my uh, very good friend and one of my brothers. Um, the the part that's always scared me the most is like that initial traction, you know. Um, and I guess for lack of a better term, a blanket term would just be marketing, quote unquote. Um, and you know, I I've never been super comfortable promoting myself. I've never been super comfortable. Um, trying to like build a gathering, you know, like 
uh, and I'm not necessarily trying to call anybody out, uh, particularly not that we know, right? But there are authors and business owners and whoever else that are very, very promotional, right? Yeah. Like they, they do, they obviously do not have a problem with that. Um, and there are uh, other authors who are so much better at like the community building aspect than mm -hmm. I am. Like just making, Same. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like making a large group of genuine friends. Like I'm not good at that. I'm, I'm good at, well, I'm better. I don't know if I'm good, but I'm better at making a small group of friends. And I hope at least having, you know, a, a deeper connection with a smaller group of friends, but that's just my comfort level. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I knew there was going to be a trade-off, uh, financially and in terms of control. Um, and that's, that's hard cause I, I really like control and I really like money. Um, but I also knew that I, I, I figured I was entering into a symbiotic relationship and I, I think that's a pretty good descriptor for it. Um, and I, I was going to give it a very, very good shot before I, I gave up on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think I just got lucky. I, I got the first agent I, I queried who knows how it would have gone. Um, if I didn't, because I, you know, I, I had a pretty short list of agents I was, I was planning to query if those, you know, three to five that I really liked said, no, who knows. And then if the, you know, 10 to 20 past that, that I, I liked, um, and was willing to take a shot on said, no, I probably would have self-published and moved on. I don't know. So let's talk a little bit about expectations. So thinking about what you had in mind stepping into the traditional publishing world versus what actually shook out. Do you find that, you know, I guess what's the ratio of met expectations to unmet expectations in that world? <laughs> that's a, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> And, and I laugh because expectations for me are not like uh, a linear thing, right? Like I haven't always just had expectations set at a certain level and hoped that would be met. I'm constantly waffling, you know, oscillating between hoping for the best and like, seeing some of these authors that find an audience and a large audience and take off and, and have this awesome career, have all these fans that appreciate what they're doing and making a difference in their lives. And, uh, you know, obviously financial success, it follows that. Um, and, and who doesn't like to get a paycheck, right? <laughs> um, but at other times, you know, it's just crippling self-doubt like all of us that yeah. I, I'd say probably all creatives, right? I would, yeah, I would for have sure. to think. Um, but just a ton of self-doubt. And, and I think with writing in particular, since it takes so long to even get to the point where you can get that kind of feedback. And because it's not a thing, at least for me, I don't feel like I have avenues to get like a ton of in-depth feedback before it went out onto shelves, right? Like I've got... I've got beta readers. I've got friends who write and read and, and who have given me feedback, but one, you'd never know if you can trust <laughs> what people say. Um, but for another, like you could just have a group of friends with similar tastes and like, that's it. Nobody else likes it. So, um, 
I'd say, oh God. Um, I'd say generally my expectations have more or less been met with all the caveats we've already gone over of, you know, timeline taking a hell of a lot longer than I would have liked. Um, and again, that was mostly my fault. Um, some of it just uncontrollable circumstances as well. Um, but the one, the one thing that is a little bit difficult is that control aspect that I mentioned, right? Like a lot of it, traditional publishing is more of a black box still to me than I would have expected. Um, I, I mean, like, yeah, uh, the, the biggest example right now, and I, I don't think I'll get in trouble for sharing this cause it's pretty common or common knowledge or easily found out. So I don't have an audio version of my book yet. And that bothers me a lot because I, I like audio, you know, I, I like audiobooks. Um, and besides that, it's a very big channel. I've, I've heard from some other, you know, debut to mid list type authors, which is where I kind of am entering the scene. Right. Um, or at least hopefully get to, um, that audio is up to 50% of their sales. Um, and that's, that's a lot, you know, uh, and, a, and a lot to give up because it seems like it's not that big of a deal to produce. And I, I mean, I would eat, I would read it myself and I will figure out sound editing. I'll, I'll, or, you know, hit up one of my, uh, very talented friends, uh, you know, in our, in our own writing group, even, uh, to, to help, uh, with sound editing, that kind of thing. Um, but there's just a lot, and, and it's not, you know, it's not in control of any one person that I work with either, you know, like my editor doesn't have control over that. And there's just a lot of moving parts that you don't, not only do you not have control, you just don't even have visibility into a lot of it. And your answer, the answers you get is just, well, we're trying and, or, oh, be patient and, you know, Assuming your book gets traction, that'll come and we'll, we'll figure out an avenue for that. But in the meantime, it's very frustrating. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So what would be, so of everything you've come across in this journey, what would be the most surprising element for you? The thing that you really came out of left field that you didn't anticipate or didn't think would be a thing? Oh, man. The thing that surprised me the most <laughs> um I'm going to I'm going to take this from an angle of like when I first started out I would not have thought it would take me so long to get to the point where I was comfortable with my own work. Um and I say that in particular because even when I turned in my book, like I edited this thing like dozens of times. Right. And in the, <laughs> they get, they sent copy edits to me and I got my hand slapped cause I was editing. I was like changing more stuff than they wanted me to change at that point. <laughs> um, and like, I, I was constantly pushing the boundaries on copy edits on proof edits. So proof edits, they've already laid it out. Uh, they've done the layout and they send it to you saying, Hey, like, uh, here are these things that our proofreaders have caught, which is awesome, by the way. 
our proofreaders caught, you know, like maybe you repeated a word in a, a sentence or uh, something wasn't quite as clear as it could have been, which is awesome to have people telling you about before it goes out, right? Um, but like you're, you're supposed to keep it in the same basic uh, typeset or whatever. I, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what you even call it. You'd probably know better. Um, but like I, I was like, I was like crossing out whole whole sentences and like crossing out paragraphs. And, and so, yeah, I got in trouble um, a, a couple times on that. But yeah, I mean, I just never want to let it go, man. Like it's really yeah. hard. It's really hard for me because I, I, you know, call it fear of failure. That'd be accurate. Call it perfectionism. That'd be accurate. Um, but that's the, that's the thing that surprised me the most. I, you know, I, I don't know that I, I didn't see that coming. Well, and when it comes to control, what parts? So after after the book got into the machine, what parts did you ha end up having to say on? So I'm thinking things like like you mentioned that they had you switch your title, but like cover art or back cover copy or things like that. Was that totally in house, separate from you, or did you have input with that? Very good questions. So um, when it comes to the writing, that that's that. There's a, there's a pretty clear delineation there, right? Everything on the writing and story side, I own, and that was made very clear to me, uh, which I, I appreciate, right? Like e even a couple times when I was asking for feedback, I was like, hey, what do you think about this? There was one time when my editor was like, Scott, at the end of the day, it's your book and you have to choose. And I was like, God damn it, just tell me what's <laughs> the right answer, you know? Um, so everything on the writing side, they they always you know gave me full control, and I super appreciate that. That you know they'll lean on you and they'll tell you, hey, I think this is the way you should go, or here's something that's not working for me or for us or whatever. But at the end of the day, they still trust you as an artist, and that's amazing, right? What I and there's kind of a middle ground. The middle ground was uh, really the the cover art idea, I guess, or inspiration. So my editor and I kind of put together like an inspiration board or whatever. Like she asked for it, and I sent it to her with some description and and uh, ideas. And I I'd, I'd say they they did a really good job with the cover. Um, especially given, you know, the, the, the general inspiration, I guess. Um, I, I thought they did a, a very good job with that where I did not have nearly any control. Um, and I, I, I don't know if this is because I'm brand new, uh, or if it's like different editors consult to different levels, uh, on different things with their, their people or, or what, um, but I had very little control on the title side. So, I mean, they, they certainly consulted me um, and said, hey, what do you think about this? And do you have ideas for this and along these lines and blah, blah, blah. And we went back and forth quite a few times. But at the end of the day, it was the shot callers at the publisher who, who you know, chose the title. They let me choose the series title, The Age of Ire. Um, but they, they chose the... Um, the the book title or at least heavily heavily influenced it um and like the the marketing copy and the blurbs all that kind of stuff they chose um the like my 
my bio on there, I mostly wrote, but they, they made a few changes um, before it went live. So yeah, I mean, like it's, it's not even necessarily control that way that, that it was surprising and maybe a little vexing. I think that partnership was actually really good. Um, and, and that's a lot of credit to my editor for putting up with a lot of bullshit from me. Right. Um, but the, the part that's frustrating, I don't think they even have a lot of insight to, and a lot of it is just because of how the industry is set up and all the things they have to navigate that has been set in, that have been set in stone way before them. Right. And so that's things like you don't know your sales numbers until X number of months later and um, whatever the industry calls uh, returns um, because, you know, they they send out through books out through a distributor and distributor sends them to bookshops and those bookstores can then (laughs) something just fell over in my kitchen. (laughs) Um, those bookstores can then return for, uh, you know, with, with no penalty because of how the industry has negotiated those deals well into the past. And there are good reasons for that, but it's difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are all sorts of different relationships between publishers and their parent publisher or their parent companies uh, that determine things like, you know, what editions get made or don't get made and where is it distributed or where isn't it distributed? Are we running ads or not? Are we sending out physical arcs or just e-arcs? Um, you know, how, how much effort are we putting into sending this author to, to trade shows or, you know, with librarians and booksellers or are we sending out pitch packets? Are we doing custom materials that we're sending out anywhere? That kind of thing. So that it, it's, it's really the business side, I think, that's a little frustrating for me because I like that side. And not only do they not want you messing with that side, I don't think they have a lot of power to do much about any of the decisions being made. And so they can't, you know, when, when I bug them about it, they're like, just chill, man. Just go write a book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's jump back to our drink real yeah. quickly here, if you're willing I'd like for you to do a little world building for us. So thinking about your nice little glass of Laphroaig, either for yourself or maybe for a character from your book or, or for, a, for any sort of character, what is the perfect setting to enjoy this drink? Hmm. Uh, this drink, I'm going to go with a, uh, a stone castle in front of a wood fire in a very large fireplace probably in a leather upholstered chair with a leather footrest probably some tapestries on the wall for a little warmth (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna go with that in, in part because my own book features some uh settings quite a bit like that but uh, that would be a, a pretty fun, maybe like some well-worn uh, wood flooring. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely a cozy drink for sure. Absolutely. Okay, Scott, what sorts of tips, tricks, suggestions, 
cautions would you give people who are wanting to dip their toes into the traditional publishing world? Uh, prepare for pain. <laughs> um, and I, I would, I would target and try to get on a personal level with everybody in, involved as much as possible. So that that's a little hard right now with conventions not being in person and that kind of thing. But what I think you can do is really look into who an agent, and I'll, I'll focus on agents because that's the that's really the part you can control and approach. Look for agents who really do represent authors like you in terms of what you're producing and try to be as honest as you can about that, right? Um, and then try to do something to stand out. I, I know a lot of writers do just get in through the slush pile and that works. Um, but if you can send, and, and this will make it take a lot longer, right? But if you can send an exclusive query, put that in the, in the title, no guarantee that garners more interest, but it can't hurt, right? I don't think a lot of other subject lines are coming in with the, the title exclusive query for one. Um, you know, if an agent is doing a, a, and I don't know how to say this in German, but coffee clash, however you say that. Oh, yeah. Uh, if, if they're doing that kind of thing, or if they're at a workshop, or if they're doing whatever, it doesn't hurt to see if there's a, you know, an affordable way to at least get some, uh, some personal time with them, or at the very least, even if they don't see you and they don't, uh, you know, get some name recognition with you at the very least seeing them and how they interact with the world and interact with other people might give you an idea of, for example, whether they're open to humor in the query or whether they're all business, uh, whether they care about how this is going to be marketable to a certain segment um, or whatever that they're passionate about, right? So uh, I think a lot more personal research is merited, not only because I think that improves the chances of getting an agent, um, but because it improves the chances that you'll actually like your agent <laughs> and you're, you're going to be stuck with them. You know, like if you, if you sign a deal and they go sign it, that book uh, forever um, is represented by them. That's the, that's the agreement you, you sign. So yeah, you, you, you want to make sure that you like them. Absolutely. Well, all right, Scott, it is last call here at the Indie Pub. Can you give us an indie published book or two or three that you want more people to check out? <laughs> well, I'm good. I said I wasn't going to cheat, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> uh, so so your very own radio, I don't think gets nearly enough attention because it's a super, super cool premise. Um, and I happen to know that you, like me, are very uh detail oriented and a perfectionist and besides your cover is freaking badass and i know that was in large part due to your uh wife's skills right absolutely yeah she's fantastic i i super lucked out in, in that department yeah i i am i am all about uh very talented significant others and, <laughs> and making the most of that um, but another, so, and, and I have to call out, uh, KM Alexander, right. Uh, 
a good friend of, of both of ours. I, you know, even better friend of yours, you guys have, uh, traveled with him and, and know him in person. I've only ever, Oh yeah. He's, uh, he's the one who got me into the writing game in the first place. So yeah. Is that, is that right? Yeah. And, and I mean, he's like, he's like an OG of the, the indie published game. Right. And he's, he's done rather well and he has a very, very, uh, good skill set for doing all that yourself. That was another reason I went traditional, you know, like I suck at anything <laughs> visual. Um, like there was just no prayer I was going to be able to design or probably even direct design on any, you know, good cover. Um, but the last one I'll mention is a, a guy, an author I just met on an online um uh, writing group that I, I was recently invited to by some other writing friends. Um, his name is Chiago Abdallah and his book, A Touch of Light. Yep, A Touch of Light. Um, it's a really cool cover for one thing, uh, a, a cool uh, tree with orange leaves or blossoms. I can't quite tell. Um, but but I had a, a conversation with him recently. He's from Brazil where I lived for two years. So that was kind of a fun connection. Um, and he had, I think his book is just releasing here soon. And he sent out copies to a whole bunch of people I've been seeing on, on Twitter. I unfortunately do not have a copy yet. Um, but yeah, it, it, it looks cool. And by, and uh, according to all the reports I've seen, it's a, it's quite a good book. So there you go. There's there's your three to go check out. KM Alexander's Bell Forging Cycle, uh, Jay Rushing's Radio, and uh, Chiago Abdallah's um, A Touch of Light. Well, I appreciate the shout out. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. So same question, but for any other media, indie or not. Any other media. Just what are you into right now? What What's really floating your boat? Yeah. So um, I'm pretty, as mentioned, I'm pretty mainstream. Um, I'll, I'll just throw out a, a couple quick mentions of visual media, then I'll go to, to traditionally published books that I don't think you're getting enough attention. Um, so visual media, stuff I've really been enjoying lately. Um, the So Peaky Blinders, the last season is about to come out. And I, I'm not sure, I know it's very popular, but I'm not sure enough people watch it because of the goofy name. Uh, but it is such a good show. Like, God damn. Um, I remember when you, so so for those people listening, uh, Jim and I have belonged to a, a, a small writing group uh, for how many years now? Five plus probably? Probably, yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, but this is the first time we're meeting uh, face to face. Yeah. Even <laughs> cool. So this is really cool for me. Um but yeah, I remember when you, Jim, watched the first episode for the first time and you were like, that's as close to, a, a, you know, a perfect first episode oh, yeah. as I've seen. And I was like, exactly, exactly. Um, and I've been trying to tell people this and I've got a lot of people to watch it. But yeah, I, it, it, especially if you like that kind of darker um, hero, anti-hero in one kind of story. Man, I love that show. Um, one that surprised me, a show that surprised me with how much I like it was Succession. Um, I, I started watching that and I, for the first several episodes, I was confused and my wife was confused about what we were even watching. Like it, I, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be a comedy or a drama or what it was, 
but I just loved it. I knew like, I just wanted to keep watching. And ever since I've been glued to it and I've been so stoked for every episode that's come out. Um, Tom Wamscans <laughs> uh, and Greg are just freaking hilarious. Anyway, so Succession, highly recommended. Uh, and, and just a few traditionally published. Um, I'll go to ones that are already out because uh, the ones that are coming out, I'll, I'll shout out about probably uh, here in the future. But Ryan Van Loan's uh, The Sin in the Steel um, came out like right when the pandemic hit and we, we share a publisher. So he was published by Tor as well. And so much of what they had planned to promote that book was, uh, shelved and ultimately, you know, canceled because the pandemic went for longer than any of us thought, I think. Um, and then, you know, he's, he's just kind of been trapped in this pandemic hell with his entire trilogy coming out. So The Sin and the Steel by Ryan Van Loan. Um, and then The Last Watch by uh, Jenny Duez. I think it's Duez. I, I suck at pronouncing names uh, that I've only read before. Um, but she publishes under uh, J.S. Duez or Duez. I'm not really sure. Uh, but The Last Watch is a sci-fi uh, that is just superbly paced. I I absolutely loved it i i tend to get like like with deeper stories and longer stories i i don't know if i have like undiagnosed add um like my brother um or or what but like i i tend to drop out quite a bit and take a long time to get in and then out and then in back into a story um so i really appreciate shorter and quickly paced stories like like the last watch uh, but it has a really cool premise too with um you know an, an advanced civilization with like kind of these uh i, I don't want to say atlantis-esque gates but like these gates that allow them to travel out to the edge of the uh edge of the universe which is is really neat um so yeah there you go those two nice all right scott tell our listeners what you have going on and where they can find you and your work <laughs> i have the rise of the mages going on <laughs> Um, it's been out for like 18 days. I am still obsessively checking Goodreads. So if you read it, please go leave a review, but only if it's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am currently finishing up revisions on book two. Um, I, I will withhold the, the tentative title because I don't know if that's going to stick, but I'm super stoked about book two because it's gone from book one where it's pretty pure action adventure to book two which is more more closely resembles a bernard cornwell you know like a last kingdom type book where it's very conquest oriented um and i'm i'm super stoked about it and people can find me on twitter mostly um at the drakeford i'm fairly i'm too active if you ask my wife especially i'm too active on twitter um, and you can find my blog at scottdrakeford.com. I don't write a whole lot of blog posts, but when I do, hopefully they're okay. Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Indie Pub. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a like and subscribe so you won't miss any of our indie investigations or boozy banter. I've been your host, Jay Rushing, and we'll see you back in the pub next time.